Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, you can visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm drawn by Danny Heath, founder of Project Hockey. Creating a platform to work on dryland skill development and more, Danny also brings unique coaching and playing backgrounds which has included time at the well-known Minnesota High School Loop, as well as the NCAA. With that, I am happy to introduce Danny Heath, founder of Project Hockey. Just like in hockey, in basketball it's playoff time. And every day of basketball's playoffs, DraftKings will have $20,000 in total prizes up for grabs. The best part? It's free to get your shot at these daily cash prizes, and DraftKings will be offering two free-to-play pools every day of the NBA playoffs, offering players a free shot at $20,000 in total prizes. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. You just download the DraftKings app, go to pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to get your free shot at $20,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code THPN for a limited time, only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Danny Heath, founder of Project Hockey. Danny, thanks for joining the podcast. Absolutely. Super excited to be here. Whenever uh, I get to talk hockey, I jump at the chance. And so fired up to be here. And hopefully people can get something out of it. Um and I'm, I'm fired up. Thanks for having me. Yeah, not a problem. And, and you know, I, I feel the same way. And it's really been the passion that kind of drives the podcast and and having these conversations with people like yourself and, and people at all different levels. So uh, let's learn a little bit more about you for people who aren't familiar with your name. Uh, talk about maybe your upbringing, where you're from, and then generally just playing sports in your early years before kind of moving into a, a junior career and your next stages. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I come from a non-traditional hockey market. So I was born in Phoenix, Arizona, Glendale to be exact, but most people just know of Phoenix, right? And so 
grew up in a very non-traditional hockey market. I, I played my youth hockey there uh, all the way through until I left home for junior hockey. And it, I got pretty lucky when I was a kid. I was the same birth year as um, two other guys that were on my team and their dads both played in the National Hockey League and they were our coaches, right? And so from a very young age, I had Jimmy Johnson who played 16, 15 years in the NHL and Ulf Samuelson who played forever in the NHL and was was one of the best. And so I had those two as my coaches because luckily or, or whatever you want to call it, their kids were were on the team. And so it was kind of right when the Arizona Coyotes were coming into town uh, back when I started and got super, super fortunate to be a part of that team. And I think we had, I mean, well over 10 kids from that team play Division One hockey. So I don't know if it was something in the water, but it kind of sparked, I, I like to think it kind of sparked the uh, the movement now where, I mean, you've got people coming from Arizona, like Lindsey Fry, who played for the U.S. Olympic team. And obviously, Austin Matthews is the big name that that came from down south as well. But, um, you know, I'd like to say we paved the way a little bit for those guys. No, I'm just messing around there. But I think uh, it was fun. It was a blast. And then from there, my senior year of high school, I made the jump to the USHL, uh, where I went to Tri-City Storm. I'd gotten drafted to the Tri-City Storm in the USHL. And honestly, I, I can remember that draft day because my buddy called me or texted me. I don't even remember what it was. He's like, congrats on being drafted. And I was like, to what? Um, I mean, I had no idea really what hockey was after youth hockey back then. And he's like, oh, I got drafted to the Tri-City Storm in the USHL. And I, I didn't think anything of it. I was like, oh, it's awesome. I have no idea what that is. Uh, got a call from the coach later and had to learn this whole new thing, right? Junior hockey. And so learned about it, went to it. Um, Senior year was awesome. I went from a high school in Arizona that was well over a thousand kids per class and then went to Kearney, Nebraska, which is smack dab in the middle of the United States, uh, where there's like 30 or 40 kids per class. And so it was a big culture shock, but it was a ton of fun. Um, played there, uh, played there the next year and then got traded to Des Moines. Um, played in the USHL for one more year there for Mike Gensel and JP Parisi. It was a couple of years before JP Parisi passed away. So it was unbelievable to learn from him. Uh, and then, then from there and my junior career was tough, right? Cause I played three years each year. The games are 60 or the season 60 games. I played like 52 total, uh, in three years just through injuries and I mean, you name it, it's happened to me. Um, finally made the jump to college hockey where I played for Minnesota State University, um, made it to the frozen. They made it to the frozen four this year. Uh, first time in school history, most wins in the last nine years. Got to give a huge shout out to my alumni. Um, but yeah, I played two years there. Finally got another concussion, uh, which was number eight for me, my sophomore year. And finally, I think after four or five, five years of just being injured all the time. Uh, it was time to to hang them up. Um, I wasn't I wasn't thinking too well, and my my head was hurting and different things in the body. And you know, I'd rather be able to tie my shoes when I'm 50 than you know try to make it to the National Hockey League at that point in my life. And so I made the decision to retire as a as a sophomore and got pretty lucky to to stay on on staff and, and be a student assistant coach there at Minnesota State. Um, yeah, where I where I ended my career there and then made the jump into the coaching world. And it's kind of where I'm out at now. So it was, uh, it was a whirlwind. And obviously there's people along the way that, that helped me and my mom being one of them. Um, she's a Canadian gal. She's from Windsor or she's from Ontario, Huntsville area. Um, so had a little bit of Canadian blood in me, but 
it uh yeah it was fun and, and an absolute blast playing hockey wouldn't change it for the world yeah and i think anytime that you can have that success and the passion i mean coaching is a natural transition and we'll kind of get into that part of your career but again i just want to kind of go back into uh maybe the playing days and while you kind of talked about the the places that you played maybe just touch on kind of learning as a player like you said going to junior not really having that uh prior education and kind of learning as you go and maybe just talk about how uh, important that was for you now working as a coach and just having that experience to maybe teach younger players. Yeah, it was, uh, it was really cool. Like that, making that jump to junior hockey, um, the, the lessons you learn as far as like, cause you, you get there and now, now I'm a 17 year old on a team with 19 and 20 and, and some 21 year olds. Right. And so being able to look up to those guys and we had a really cool class, like Mario Lamoureux and Pierre Paul Lamoureux and Alex Hudson, some older guys there that helped just kind of teach me the ways and, and help me learn about junior hockey. And it's, it's one of those things that like playing hockey and, and youth living at your own home is, is one thing. And it's obviously creates a ton of learning experiences, but as soon as you go out on your own and, and I get that, I still live with a, a family, obviously a billet family, but you know, your mom's not there to, to do X, Y, and Z. And so it was pretty, pretty cool to, to be able to learn as a senior, right? So still somewhat young in the USHL and um, had to grow up pretty fast and probably, I mean, wish I had a little bit more, more maturity back then, but it, uh, it helps me now um, helping out with high school kids and college kids uh, to, to realize like, Hey, you know what, this is, this is a tough time. And like, here's some decisions that I made. Here's some decisions that, that you're making and, and just try to really, really try to help these kids and these athletes because they all want to play in the national hockey league. Right. So what, how can they best get there and, and help them, you know, navigate the decisions. And it's uh yeah, junior hockey, junior hockey was a blast, but it, it's one of those things that if you don't do it right, like if you don't make the right decisions, it could, it could turn you out of it pretty quickly. And so thankfully I had some older guys there to help me kind of guide through that. Yeah. That guidance really is key. And, uh, it's great to hear that, you know, you had that positive experience and were able to play a few years, but obviously injuries and, and different factors kind of came into play and you eventually realized that maybe it was time to, to hang up the skates and, and go in an off ice role. And that kind of led to your student assistant coaching role with Minnesota State. Uh, maybe just break down that role and also maybe the dynamic of, of being a younger coach, obviously pretty much around the same age as some of the players and uh, just what you learned in that initial position. For sure. And I, you know, and I, I, I say luckily, right. And thankfully that happened to me. It, it sucked to, to stop playing, but I, I think it, it all happened for a reason. Right. And our, our new coach that year would have been my junior was Mike Hastings. Who's, I mean, he coached world juniors I mean, he's one of the best to do it. Right. And so he, he actually had to stop playing his sophomore year when he played at St. Cloud, uh, when he broke his back. And so he had a little bit of experience that way. And, um, you know, I just remember that first conversation with him. It felt like an interview, like, why, why should I keep you on our staff? Um, and I, I have no idea. I don't remember what I said. I remember being uh, nervous about that, but obviously something worked and he, he kept me on staff, but it was, it was extremely hard to go from like guys that I played with for the last two years to all of a sudden now I'm in a different role. And so how do you, how do you navigate those waters? But the guys were super understanding and um, they knew that like, there were some things that, that I could talk about that was behind the closed doors with the, with the coaching staff. And there was things that were out in the open that were able to, to chat about it, but it was definitely, you couldn't ask for a better start in the coaching world. Like you have Mike Hastings, Darren Blue, Todd Cannot, three of the best college coaches in my opinion. And, 
um, able to be a fly on the wall during all their meetings and, you know, help, help with the practice planning, help with, um, help with like when the, when the team would go on the road, sometimes I'd stay back and, and skate the guys that weren't able to make the trip. Um, and then I'll obviously go on the road as well at, at some times. And it was a blast. One thing, one of my main things that I actually loved doing, and I, I played defense my whole life, but Hastings is very detail oriented. And so he'd have me watch the other team. So if we we're playing St. Cloud on the weekend, I'd watch the other team's game film, you know, two, three weeks, like probably four or five games worth of film. And I would just watch face-offs and not necessarily what they ran off of face-offs or what they would do. I would just watch what that center would do and say, Hey, you know what, when this center lines up on this dot, they always try to win it to their backhand. And so then I would take our centers through like, okay, you're facing off against this guy on this dot, what are they going to do? And like get them in the mindset and and let them know, like it, it, it gave them a huge advantage, right? Like, Hey, I know we're on the left side in the neutral zone. This guy's going to try to push this forward between my legs. And so we're able to, to do that and, and come up with a breakdown And it. I like to think it helped. I mean, obviously it would help our centermen having, having an advantage, just knowing like, okay, they're going to try this. Here's what we can do. And it, it got to the point where, you know what, during practice, Hastings would give us some time at the end where I would make, hey, you, you know what, you're the opposing player on this dot. You need to go to your backhand type of thing, or you need to use your skates because uh, that's what this guy does. And and then obviously our center would would see what works best against that and really set him up for success. And so those were kind of the little things that Hastings, I mean, Hastings loved that, that type of stuff where any type of little tiny advantage he, he would take after and he, he would do a ton of them himself. Like he wouldn't put all that on me, but definitely help out as a staff and it was pretty cool to learn like the details matter and that's obviously why that that team and and that man has won i don't even know the number but the most wins in the last nine years in college hockey is something that's pretty special if you ask me yeah that's uh quite the accolade and and at the same time having someone like that in a mentorship role for you is impressive and then you're able to uh you know take a lot of those learnings and you talk about doing some video work and and pre-scout and that kind of yep. all plays into uh, some of your work with Project Hockey, which we'll get into. But uh, another coaching opportunity I want to talk about quickly is your role as an assistant coach with Mankato West and the boys varsity team. Just, again, maybe talk about the situation you were in there and then what you learned from that role. Yeah, for sure. It was it was pretty cool to, to help out with the high school team. Um, and it, for those of you who don't know, like that are listening, like Minnesota high school hockey is like the biggest hockey to play in in Minnesota, in my, in my opinion, the world. Um, but I'm pretty biased now that I live here in Minnesota, like the state tournament is crazy. They sell out the XL energy center, which is where the Minnesota wild plays. So you got 20,000 people watching a bunch of 16, 17 year olds play hockey. And it happens every single year. Obviously the last two were kind of weird with COVID, but, um, well, actually they got the, they got the state tournament in and then COVID hit. And then we didn't really have, we had it this year, but it wasn't as big, obviously. Um, but it, it's pretty unique down here with with the way high school is ran and to be able to to help our team. And it was pretty cool. 2015, we actually went to the state tournament, which was our second time in school history. Um, and so that, that the experience I got from that was cool because because now I had more of the reins, right? Like I was helping with the game planning. I was implementing stuff in between periods. I was um, doing a lot of different things that really helped do a couple of things. It helped me realize like I'm not... I'm not as into being a bench boss. Like I don't enjoy, I shouldn't say I don't enjoy it. Cause it, it's fun to, it's obviously fun to win games and I'm way too competitive. Um, that's another story. But the idea of like 
coming up with four checks isn't as enjoyable to me as like working on the individual skills with these kids. And so it helped me realize that, but going to a state tournament was something special. And then, you know, I got into coaching to get away from the injuries. And I think it was my second year in, I actually took a puck to the mouth, my, um, on the bench and it, it completely shattered my jaw and, um, had me, uh, had me zip tied and, um, wired shut for about eight weeks. So, couldn't cannot get away from the injuries um got another concussion but the good thing was it was during you know the holidays and so eggnog was out and i'm a big fan of eggnog and at least i could get that stuff through my wires but uh it was uh it was an interesting experience for sure and you know i did that for a few years but but like i said i i i love i love the idea of like working with you know these athletes on their individual skills and then being able to sit back and watch during the games and, and watch them have success versus you know, the, the idea of like, Hey, we got to have this four check and, and that stuff too. And, um, that stuff's fun, but it's just not, not as enjoyable to me. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And, and to be honest with you, every coach kind of has a different approach. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in video and things like that. So I can understand the difference in maybe being a bench coach, as opposed to being a skills coach or a video coach or, uh, others in on the podcast I talked about wanting to go into scouting as opposed to coaching and all these different things. And, a lot of times you don't really get to kind of know what you want to do until you go into each position and kind of try it out. And eventually, as you said, you kind of made that realization and whether it was after the, uh, the puck to the, to the jaw or, or before you kind of realized that maybe it was a different route again for you. And, um, yeah. you know, that kind of led to project hockey and that brand. So I think now uh, might be a good time to pretty much break down the, the company and, and just walk us through the process of starting it and your experience to date. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, Project Hockey is something that started out as just like something I did to to help a local association. And like going back to to my days in Arizona, like like I said, we had awesome coaches, but I'd get home and my mom, she's from Canada, but she never played our game. Right. And so I, I'd always ask her, like, how do I get better? Like, I'm tired of this or that. And, you know, when my buddies were going to these awesome camps, you know, sometimes my mom uh, wasn't able to afford to send me there. And so I, I can remember like asking her like hey how do I get better at this game and she she just didn't have the answer right and so I'd take my stick and I'd start stick handling around the house trying to get better and ended up breaking something of hers she'd get super upset with me and like that was the end of my my dry land training um at home and so we like I said we did awesome stuff at the rink we did dry land training at the rink but I just I wanted to get better like I loved hockey too much um and so I just wanted to to continually work on that and put in the extra work and as we say in project hockey work, hashtag do the work. Uh, but uh, it kind of went on from there. And then as soon as I, I jumped into the coaching world, I, I just saw that need. Like there's too many, there's too many kids that just don't like to, to be coached by, you know, a skills coach or to be coached by someone who like a big name, right. Um, they, they would have to fly to that camp, get that, get that coaching, spend a bunch of money and it'd be like two days and then it'd be done. Right. And so with Project Hockey, it's it's now a way for kids to to log into a profile, create their own profile. It's, it's a lot like Facebook, right, um, where you can actually like and comment and talk to friends in there. Um, but the cool part is like you get a ton of development, you get a ton of coaching. And, you know, we've got we've got coaches in the app from like the Elevate 02 guys out in Vermont who are phenomenal um, all the way up to you know, the Ottawa 67's coaches, um, they put a lot of skill content in there with Evan and Derek up in, up in Ottawa. 
um, all the way down to like Lindsey Fry, who played in the U.S. Olympics, um, won a silver medal back in 2018. Don't quote me on that, but um, just the idea now, like you don't have to, you don't have to have a huge bank account to to go and get these these types of coaching and this development. It's pretty cool because one thing that makes Project Hockey different is that we are a daily development program. Like we have a daily practice plan built in for kids. You wouldn't go to one of your practices, Ryan, and be like, hey, um, I've got 5,000 videos and drills. Everyone pick one and go do their own thing, right? Like that's not, that would never work in, in the real world. It doesn't work in the virtual world either, um, which is why, you know, we've been around for for over three years now. We've got over 1,200 kids using our platform. We've, we're working with over 90 youth, uh, youth hockey programs uh, um, because of the way we do it. And And like I said, kids can log in, athletes can log in and, they might like that day it might be a hockey IQ video where we're breaking down, hey, watch how Patrick Kane enters the zone here. And then after that, it might be a, a hockey mindset video where we're, you know, we're working on setting goals or we're working on um, you know, how to how to bounce back from an injury or how to bounce back from a bad play in a game. And then after that, you know, we'll have like a warm-up with built-in demo videos, strength sessions with built-in demo videos, skill sessions from I mean, we're partnered with a ton of different people on any given day. It could be myself, uh, could be an ex-NHL hockey player, it could be a current Division One coach that's that's coaching the kids and taking them through a skill. Uh, and then the the cool part, and what I love after that is we we always have daily challenges where you know the kids can compete um, and they actually log their challenges, and so it really builds that profile up over time. And so. It's it's the one stop shop for hockey players, and and I'm not crazy. Like I'm not going to sit here on your podcast and be like, we're replacing hockey development, and nobody needs to go on the ice at all. Like, you want to get better at hockey, you better be playing some hockey, right? And so we're not we're not crazy to think that um, Project Hockey is the the end all be all, and it's all you need to make it to the NHL. But it is definitely a, a development tool for kids to to get better at the game from the comfort of their own home. And you know, all you need for our program is a stick and a ball. And that's it. A little bit of, little bit of space. We've got, it's, it's pretty cool. Like we've got over 13 countries with members in it. Um, kids that live in apartments, kids that live in mansions, kids that have giant hockey setups in their basement and all walks of life. Right. And it's, it's just something that helps bridge that gap. And, and, you know, when we say all means all, we mean it. Um, we're 19.99 a month. So for less than what I spend at Chipotle, kids get hockey training every single day from world-class coaches from the comfort of their own home. Yeah, that's, that's pretty impressive. And and like you said, it, it offers an opportunity for those who maybe don't have the space or, or don't have the, the ice time. I know a lot of places really struggle with trying to get uh, ice time competing with, you know, a couple of rinks in a community. So when you can really take that into consideration, I think it, uh, it just offers something different for the players and it's, uh, it's beneficial in that way. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's one of those things that, you know, like you said, kids, you know, especially just non-traditional hockey markets, but even in Minnesota, like we've got we've got a ton of people we're working with because it helps coaches a lot. Like teams love to sign up for it because then, you know, the coaches can communicate in there. Um, you know, they might have ice on a Monday and then on Tuesday it might be, hey, you know what, we're not going to drive to the rink today and go do stick handling. Everybody do their project hockey and the coach can see who did it, who, who marked it done. Um, and we have phenomenal team rates. We have phenomenal uh, association rates. And I, 
we, we give a lot of it away for free. Like we've been known to give away some, some lengthy free trials uh, because our whole goal of Project Hockey is not like I don't do it full time. Um, it's just something that I do because I'm, I'm here because of hockey. Like I met my wife because of hockey. I have two beautiful kids because of hockey. Uh, so I owe this game a lot. Uh, so Project Hockey is just a way for me to give back as much as possible. And our whole goal with it is just to leave the game better than we found it. And so if, you know, if the answer to any question I get is that it makes hockey better, I'm usually all in. Um, you know, we just did a, a whole mindset class for kids. A couple weeks here, we're launching like our speed training program. And like I said, because we're day by day, we're able to change our programming with the seasons. And so now that it's the off season for a majority of, of a lot of hockey players, like we're going to start getting faster and getting stronger. And so working with a division one strength coach to, to come up with that program and, and create that content, and those videos and getting it plugged into the app here in June and just making our members better. And it's, it's not one of those things where now, now all of a sudden it's 50 bucks or a thousand bucks. It's still, it's still 1999 a month. And, um, it's pretty cool when, you know, we're able to partner with associations and give them a, a huge rate. And, uh, we've even done some fundraisers with kids and, and built that into to the membership to, to give back to associations that lost a lot during COVID. And I don't know, it's pretty cool. And so, uh, I mean, I would encourage anyone to reach out, but it's, uh, it's been pretty fun so far. And, like I said, we're just honestly trying to leave this game better than we found it. For sure, for sure. And I think that's a, a great mindset. And we talk about kind of coming into the game and leaving it better than when you found it. That's kind of uh, the the thought process with the evolution of the game. And, and we mm. see different things, obviously, video analytics and off-ice work, all this different stuff. And uh, I guess you've definitely run into situations, I'm sure, when researching and kind of building the brand that, maybe coaches think that it's more so better just to do the on ice work or, or they don't agree with, with certain ways that practices are done or whatever the case may be. So I guess uh, what I'm just wondering is how have you worked to kind of overcome that mindset that maybe it's something new and might not work the way that, you know, some coaches are always just opposed to change. So I guess I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that area. Yeah, I think there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of coaches out there that have been doing it forever and been super successful and it's their where they're their way or the highway. And, and I would agree with them. Absolutely. But I, I just hope that they'll teach me what, what they've, they've learned. Right. And so like a good example of that is like John Lounsbury, who he's the owner of gel sticks and he, he's a professional skills coach. He works with the Adam Oates group. Um, I'm able to work super closely with him and, and just the stuff that, the way he teaches development and the way he helps guys in the national hockey league take their game from two goals a year to 10 goals a year, which is, that's a pretty big pay increase. Um, when you're talking, you're talking the national hockey league. And so when, when I'm able to, to pick his brain and, you know, he's one of the best to do it right now. And obviously being under Adam Oates is something that not everybody gets to have. And so somewhat being that connected in the hockey world, it's nice to be able to bounce ideas off of, um, but you're right. Like even he has stuff that, that I'll do and, or I'll have stuff that I'll do. And he'd be like, uh, what, like explain that to me. And so I, I like that side of the fence a little bit more when, when a coach sees something, they, they want the explanation and then, then they're able to talk it through. Uh, but I, I think the biggest thing and really to, to answer your question, like there's no right way, right? Like you see, you see players over in Europe that get trained completely different from players here in North America. And they make it to the NHL and they set records in the NHL and they make a lot of money in the NHL. And so it's, uh, it, it just goes to show like there is no, there is no one way. Um, and obviously you need to be on the ice as much as possible. 
um, within reason. I think you need time off, but there is a lot you can do off the ice that makes you better. Um, you know, in the summertime, I, I was able to work with a few guys that played in the NHL um, and we'd, we'd go on the ice and then we'd come off the ice and we'd be in my garage doing stick handling drills because it's that important. Right. And so I think, I think it's just, it's one of those things, especially with me. Um, you know, I've only been at this for since 2014, I guess. So, so a few years now. Um, but the idea is that like, you can learn a lot from a lot of people and being on the ice every day is really good for some people and it's really bad for some people. And so as you get to the higher levels, you start to learn, learn what helps kids, uh, learn what helps athletes get better. Um, and so you just got to find that balance, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And it's, I've got no issues with people being, you know, stuck in their ways. People say, uh, as long as they're willing to share, I, I just don't like, I don't like when people are, are like hidden about it or, I don't know. I feel like that doesn't make the game better, right? Like if your stuff is awesome, you're that you're going to be the best at teaching it. Um, and I get the business side of it. So I'm not going to obviously hold anyone to that. I just, I love when, I love when people share, I love when people help make the game better. And so anything that I do, you know, I obviously can't post everything just because I would, I'd be sitting on my phone all day, but you know, the idea is like, Hey, here's some, here's some information. Here's what we're doing. If you'd like to find out more, I mean, I get emails all the time and I, I respond back pretty quickly. And so, yeah, did that answer your question. I kind of mumbled on there yeah. for a little bit. No, no, it does. And, and, and I agree with, with a lot, everything you said there, it's uh, idea sharing and learning. I think at the end of the day is, is the kind of theme and, and the way that the game will improve. And like you said, some people may, uh, may be stuck in their ways, but if they don't agree with it, hopefully they share their mindset and you can build on it that way. But yeah, you know, working in private hockey, a lot of times you're working with younger clients or people that are looking to get to that next level. Um, you know, with that in mind, how often do you find yourself watching the NHL? I know you guys share a lot of clips and things like that on social media. So is that kind of a part of your routine watching games and, and just looking for trends in the game that maybe you can uh, teach down to the next generation? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think it's a big thing. Like a lot of coaches are, are kind of hooked on, like you got to watch the games with a purpose, um, which I agree. Like, obviously if you, if you know, and I, hopefully this makes sense, but a lot of times coaches like, Hey, w- don't watch the puck or watch for this. And you get a kid that's like 10 years old, who's being told by their coach, like, Oh, I can't watch the puck. And so they sit there and they watch the game, they get done with it and they didn't fall in love with the game. Right. And so I think there, there's a super fine line between like making sure kids love hockey and they love to watch it because they love hockey versus like breaking down and, and analyzing the game as they're watching it there. And so I do think we have to be aware of that because I see the game headed in the direction where we're just not getting hockey fans right now. Like kids are being told at a young age to, to watch or, or do this or that. And it's, if a kid is now 20 years old and they don't love the game of hockey, it's going to be tough for them to keep that fire going for them to make a career out of it. Right. And so that that's, that's a big concern of mine. Um, with that being said, like, I, I love, I love the game of hockey. And so I watch it all the time. Uh, last night I was up way too late watching the Minnesota wild, uh, lose in game two. Um, but it, and then what I'm able to do after that is then I, I can like bookmark some clips, um, as I'm watching it. And then I'm able to go back and, and break those down and watch those things. And then what I'll do with that stuff is I'll take it onto the ice with me, um, literally bring my TV out there, plug it in, show them the clip, um, and then do a drill 
that represents what happened in that thing. And it, it could be as simple as like, Hey, watch how, watch how, um, Eric Carlson angles here. And then we just work on an angling thing that day. And so at least it paints the picture a little bit for him. And then it, like, it can be as detailed as like, Hey, watch out. And I don't use too many clips of Connor McDavid. Cause I think that guy is on a different level. Like he doesn't seem real to me. He seems like a fake hockey player, which is, I mean, he's way too good. Right. And so that was a compliment, but, um, I think the idea is like sometimes we'll watch a whole play from start to end and then we'll 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 redo that or recreate that during practice. And so we use a ton of game film and, and different things like that. And the cool part is then I'm able to film one of my players during practice, pull it up on the TV with the with that NHL clip right next to it and, and show the differences and show the similarities and help them learn and develop. And so and then what I think that does is then the kid comes home or the player goes home. What, you know, if they're a younger athlete and we just watched game tape on, you know, one of their favorite players, and then we did a drill that looked like one of their favorite players. And then they go home, they watch a game with their favorite player and they say, oh my gosh, I just did that today in practice. Or that's what I looked like, dad, mom, guardian, whoever. And I think that's how you get kids to watch hockey uh, with a purpose. And so it's kind of like, going at it backwards and it takes a little bit more effort, but I, I just don't love, love the idea of, of shoving it down kids throats and saying, Hey, you need to watch this. And you know, don't, you don't get to look at the puck. Uh, you got to watch. Like, I don't, I don't think that's good for kids. Some kids, maybe some kids that are, you know, mature and can handle that. Absolutely. But I think there's a better way to get kids to watch with a purpose. And I think it's the way that we've been doing it, you know, a few different few years now here in, in Minnesota. Yeah, you re- you really got to build the the fans first and foremost. I think if you you try to uh, quote unquote teach like teach through the game as opposed to letting them learn from the game, it's a, it's kind of a different process. So I, I think that's a great point. And as well from a player trying to learn from the game, you know, you can learn from the game. I can learn from the game as well. Talking with people in the industry, and oh, I yeah. know uh, that's something I do a lot on this podcast. And I know you also have a podcast, so. I guess I just wanted to ask about that, kind of how that process has been. And then also uh, maybe if you could share some of the, the key conversations that you've had over the, the last few episodes. Yeah, it's been uh, – that part's been awesome. And, the, and our podcast is uh, – it's called the Let's Go Hockey Podcast, and it, it's ran with Pete Kamen, who uh, is a skills coach out in Montana. Um, and then uh, producer Vinny. Um, Vinny's awesome. Without him, we wouldn't be able to do anything. But the the conversations we've had, like we've had Patrick Marlowe on there, uh, all the way to Marty Pevlich, who played he played for the Red Wings back in, I mean, a long, long, long time ago um, when they won four cups in a row. And like he was at the game where they first threw the octopus on. Like this guy is ninety something years old, and we got to interview him. Um, that was my favorite interview. And then, you know, we've worked with like Teddy Bluger, who plays for the Penguins. Um, who did we just, I mean, we've had a ton of different skills coaches on that, that are all different. And like, like you said, like each one I'd have a note on like, all right, I'm stealing that. And like, I'll tell them right to their face. Like, I'm going to steal that. Like, that's a really cool idea. Um, Cause I think that's what it's all about. Right. Like that's how you get better. But my biggest thing that I, that I loved and it's why project hockey, we compete and we have competitions every single day. Uh, because when you look at, when you look at the best players in the game, like the Hillary Knights, the Sidney Crosby's, the the TJ Oshies, like they are the most competitive people on this planet. Uh, and so how do you teach that? And I, I think it's it's 
built up over time. Um, it's like the old, like, you know, you lose at a game of Monopoly and you flip the board over and you're, you're upset. And I think that's awesome. I love that. Um, my daughter, we were playing Candyland the other night. She lost and she, she, she cried and she left the room storming. And obviously we have to teach her to control those emotions, but that competitive, that competitiveness inside of her, I don't want her to ever to lose that. And so if I, if I were to, to leave this earth, um, unexpectedly early, like that's the one thing I'd want to pass down to my kids is like, I want them to be competitive and, you know, talking to Marty, um, during an interview on the podcast, like he had just got done saying like, yeah, we won our fourth Stanley cup. And he was like, then it wasn't enough. Like I wanted more. And he like, for this guy who's still 90 something years, 90 years old at the time, talking about how he wished he would have won another cup is crazy to me. And like, it's one of the coolest conversations I've ever had with someone um, because of the fact like, man, you've already won the cup four times where there's guys like Patrick Marlowe, right? Who obviously deserves a cup and hopefully he gets his, but he hasn't done it. And yet this guy did it four times and all he can talk about is he wanted one more. Like that was the biggest disappointment in his career that he didn't win five. And I bet if he would have won five, he would have been upset that he didn't win six. Uh, and I think that's what it takes, not just to be an awesome hockey player, but I think that's what it takes to be an elite person, right? Like to, to make it in the business world, to make it in the, the public or private sectors. Like you have to, you have to be willing to compete. Uh, and if you're not, I think there's going to be a gap there. And so I'm sure there's people listening, like, you know, why did you beat your die? Like I, I don't let her win at anything, um, especially Candyland. That's a game of chance, right? So she, she wins a few times and I win a few times and she doesn't like when I win. Uh, and so it's pretty cool to, to have those conversations. And, and like I said, that that's been one of the biggest things from our, our podcast is everybody we've interviewed, they've, they've had a little bit of that, that verbiage or that competitiveness inside of them, because it's obviously important when you're, when you're talking about the game of hockey. And I think hockey is the only game in the world that mirrors life. Uh, I learned that from coach Hastings, um, just the way hockey is played. It, it mirrors life. Right. And so, bringing out that competitiveness inside of uh, inside of hockey will, will ultimately bring it out inside of the the real world. Yeah. Great point. And, and, you know, you can learn so much through from those conversations on the podcast, but as you said, everybody has a competitive nature. And I think mm-hmm. any fan of the game or someone in hockey operations, coaching all these different areas, uh, it kind of comes with the position. And I think if you don't, as you said, have that competitive nature or that edge to your, your mindset, uh, you know, you likely won't be successful. And everybody that I've had on the podcast, as you said, as you had on yours, have always had that component. And the people at My Hockey Resource, they kind of share that mindset and they like to have different people from the industry kind of connect on their platform and talk about different things in the game. So for anybody looking to have those conversations, be sure to check out My Hockey Resource on Twitter and Instagram. Danny, one of the things they talk about on that platform is resources such as Project Hockey and other things like books, articles, podcasts, et cetera, that they look to for new reference and new ideas. So I guess the question for you is, for you personally, what are some of your favorite resources that you can share with listeners? Yeah, big ones, John Lounsbury. Uh, we talked about him earlier, uh, but he's he's so knowledgeable in what he does. And, you know, he's got an Instagram where he's super easy to get a hold of on that. So, I mean, checking out his information, um, he, he's one of the best. Um, and then as far as like resources, like I love that coach, coach them, uh, like the online drill drawing stuff. Like 
when I got into it with those guys, uh, Mike Weaver, a long time ago, they, they've now have this huge database of drills that just lives inside there. And so like, I love, like I said, I love, I love stealing drills. I love stealing them and making them better. Um, and I, I let coaches know that like, Hey, I'm taking this and I'm going to do this. And this is what I did. And this worked. And Hey, I flopped on this one. Can you help me make this better? And so it's, it's a give and take with that. But yeah, I'd say those are, those are probably the two biggest things. Um, with Lounsey, you know, whenever I have a question about hockey, it's, it's, you know, it's awesome that I, I get to, to chat with him and, and talk about it. And like, you know, one time we're just talking about, you know, underhandling the puck versus overhandling the puck. And when I was a defenseman and playing college, like it was all like, don't stick handle, like keep that thing on your forehand uh, and don't move it to your backhand ever. Cause you'll lose it. Um, and that, that, that carried over into my coaching career. Like I, I legit took, one of my defenseman sticks and taped three tennis balls to the back of it so they couldn't use it. Right. And so if they tried to use their backhand, it would just fly off it. Um, and then I was talking with Lounsey about it. I was like, yeah, we just, we we're doing this drill where we kept them there for And he's like, okay, let's think about this. And so, and I know he's, he's worked on this with Adam Oates and, and different things like that. But the idea, like if, if you were to give someone who's, who's, you know, has the unfortunate, um, and then they can't see, right? Like they're blind. And if you gave them a cane and said, Hey, you can't move it. Like you have to underhandle this cane. You got to walk with it, but keep it without moving it. They're going to run into everything. But if you allow them to feel and move it around, like now they're going to have success with walking and moving and getting around. And it's the same thing with a hockey puck and stick, right? If you tell the, that player, Hey, keep that on your forehand and hope for the best, like you have no feel for it. And so if you're able to stick handle and move that puck and feel where it is, now you got to make a play where you know exactly where it is, right? And so I think that's that was kind of a big eye-opening thing. And so when you talk about resources, like having those conversations, and I, I get like not everybody's fortunate enough to know Lounsey or, or someone at that level, um, but it's out there. Like the information is out there to find and it, that helped change my mind. And, and that now, like, you know, when we're doing drills, I'm like, Hey, when you come through this area of the ice, I want four or five stick handles. Like, I want you to feel that puck. I want you to, you know, almost go overboard with it because one, it helps you feel the puck, right? Like just talked about that. And two, you never know in a game when you're going to have to use your backhand. And I I've reached out to that player. I taped uh tennis balls to, and I'm like, Hey, I'm sorry. Like I, uh, I screwed up. I shouldn't have done that to you. Um, it's, it's, you know, it handicapped in your backhand and didn't allow you to get better with it. And so, you know, it was only a couple practices I did it for. It wasn't like this kid had it on forever, but um, yeah, it's, it's those learning mistakes and those growing pains and those things that uh, help make you better that, that are big resources. And, you know, like I said, Lounsey coach them um, the hockey think tank. Like I love those guys. They're, they're, they're pretty smart. That Topher guy is, he's a smart guy, super smart. And so I love, love bouncing ideas off him as well. And yeah, I'd say those are kind of the biggest ones. Yeah, no, great resources there and and great people to learn from. And, and, you know, Topher being one of them that you mentioned, someone who's going to be uh, at the hockey minds conference as well. So mm-hmm. uh, a quick shout out for him, but uh, another thing that you talked about, obviously the connection to resources and learning from individuals is so key. And a lot of times they could be mentors or peer to peer mentors. So, I know you mentioned a few different people throughout the conversation so far, but maybe once again, go through some of the key mentors who have helped you thus far in your career. Yeah, that's a long list. Um, Cause I feel like, I mean, just learning from everything. Right. Um, but yeah, Lounsey's one of them, Jimmy Johnson, um, who like you look at his career, like he was a, a stud at university of Minnesota Duluth. 
uh, then went right to the NHL and he never played a game in the AHL. Like he played, he went right to the NHL and stuck with it and stuck up in the, in the, in the NHL, which was cool. And I, he was my coach from Pee Wee's all the way through. I left, uh, till I left to play junior hockey. And so, you know, having him as a mentor was phenomenal. Um, you know, Pete Kamen, the guy who runs Elevated Hockey, like getting to know him over the past two years and stealing all his ideas and making him better um, have been have been awesome. Um, you know, the, the guy who runs our goalie department for Project Hockey, because uh, we do player and goalie, um, Evan Carambellis, he's been he's been phenomenal to to help learn and, and bounce ideas off of and Mike Hastings, Darren Blue, Todd Kanat, like these guys that that were my coaches. Um, and even like all the way to JP Parisi, who I had for a year, um, helped shape who I am as a coach. Cause you know, I can remember during practice as I know I was an assistant captain on that team and guys were messing around on the line, shooting pucks against the boards or shooting pucks, uh, down the ice during, during, uh, a drill. And I was like, Hey, knock that off. I think I said it in a, a more like, you know, cooler junior hockey way at the time. But, um, I can remember Parisi skating over, um, you know, on his, his thick uh, Canadian accent that he had um, yelling at me. And I'm like, what, like, what do you mean, coach? Like, I'm trying to get, he's like, no, these guys are getting better. And so, you know, he's like, he, he would always have pucks scattered. And he's like, if you're going to shoot pucks down the ice, try to hit this puck or try to try to hit that spot on the boards or, or do something and, and use the line as an opportunity to develop and get better. And so I went from like, Cause back then I was still helping out with summer camp and I would always yell at the kids in line, like sit there, stay focused, watch the, watch the drill. And I get that sometimes you have to do that, but now I encourage my kids to, to be creative in the, in the lines. Like obviously don't mess the drill up for, you know, the, the players that are going, but be creative, try to bounce a puck off your stick. See if you can get it off the glass. See if you can catch it uh, on your blade as many times in a row. Um, obviously be sure to know what you're doing and maybe, you know, your next up, you're going to want to watch, but I, I think it's little things like that. Like JP Parisi, Mike Gensel, two guys that like, I couldn't have asked for a better, a better coaching staff my entire career. Like I, I just, this little, little kid from Arizona fell into a gold mine of hockey resources. And so it's, it's cool to have all of them. And yeah, I'm sure I'm missing a few people, but it's, uh, yeah, it's special to to know, and and the hockey world's so so small, right? Like you're never you're never too far removed from somebody else that could help you out or getting in touch with this person or that person. Yeah, there there really is a, an infinite number of people that can help you in the industry and uh, mentors. I, I think I always put people on the spot with that question just because you you feel like you're you're trying to name off everybody, and then once the yeah. interview's over, you kind of think of the next ten people that you would like to mention, but. Um, you know, I guess the essence of that is that you've had a number of great coaches and great people in your life who have been able to kind of put you in the right direction and teach you, whether it's from a coaching perspective or also when you were a player and they were coaching you that way as well. But now is a final question that I asked everyone on the podcast. If you could go back in time, maybe just someone who is just finishing up their playing career and looking to move into the hockey industry or coaching or whatever the case may be, what's one final piece of advice that you would give them in hopes that they would be successful? Yeah, that's a that's a tough question. I thought you were going to ask if I go back and change something in my career. What do I do? <laughs> I was gearing up for that in my head, and and that would just be like, hey, you don't need to leave. Like I left home as a senior. Like going back, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Um, I don't know how much that would have changed, but 
I just, you know, I, I wish I would have stayed home as a senior, but as far as like helping coaches diving in, like understand before you get into the coaching world, it is extremely competitive. It is, it is hard to break into. Like if you, if you want to make a living out of it, right. And you want to be a division one head coach or a professional hockey coach or a, a skills coach, like it's, you can't do it for the money for the first, like probably five to 10 years. Um, like you have to be willing to, to do things and, and, you know, train people and, and just not be like, you know, cause there's some, there's some college hockey coaches that are making quite a bit of money. And obviously as you go higher up, those paychecks get bigger, but I would say go into it with the mindset. Like this is, this is like, you know, that, that saying that's like, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Yes, absolutely. Um, and so keep that in mind as you're starting your career and like, um, you know, a good buddy of mine, Corey Lieberman, who started his career in the NA3 out in New York, this Minnesota kid had to go out there and he, you know, he wasn't getting paid much, but he grinded it out. And then he, he made it to the NAHL and grinded it out there for a couple of years. And now he's in the USHL and, you know, he's getting better and better every year. And you, you can just see like, he's starting to get to a point where it's, it's now becoming a career and, and yet he was doing it for his career for four or five years. Right. If that makes sense. But I'd say the, the biggest thing is just, just be willing to do the work, compete like crazy. Um, if you're getting into the coaching world, you have to be willing to recruit, especially if, I mean, if you want to, if you want to be in a lot of people, an awesome conversation uh, with Darren blue, who's the assistant coach for, for Minnesota state last night, actually, um, and just the idea, like when you get hired at a, as a junior coach or a college coach, like they're hiring you to recruit. And so you have to, you have to go in with that mindset and, and be willing to, to go to hockey rinks and watch 10 games a day uh, to find one person. And you have to be willing then to, to drive back home through the night, coach your team in the morning and then hit the road again and, and go recruit all while not making a ton of money. Right. And so, um, eventually you'll get to the point where then you're you're becoming more of a coach coach instead of the recruiting side of it but you have to be willing to do that uh to get to a certain point and so long-winded answer just just the idea of you know being able to or being willing to to do things that others aren't and being willing to compete at those things are will help you kind of get along the the path of coaching yeah, it ties back into the competitive nature once again. And, you know, the, the hardest working people are the ones that are ultimately successful. And uh, if you obviously love what you do, you won't work a day in your life. So, Danny, I want to thank you again for joining me on the podcast today. Thoroughly enjoyed the conversation, learning about your brand as well. And hopefully things continue to go well. And I wish you all the best moving forward. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, and like I said, you don't have to be a Project Hockey member to to get in touch with me. I'm super easy to get a hold of and I get videos sent to me all the time. How can I help get better at this? And, you know, I'm always willing to to shoot feedback back and uh, and help out. And, and like I said, leave this game better than I found it. So thanks for having me on the podcast and I wish nothing but the best to you and your team. All right. I really appreciate that. Take care. Take care. Support for the Hockey Minds podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, and Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all your below-the-waist grooming needs. Big news, Manscaped just launched in Canada, and for those listeners in Canada, and I know there's a lot of you, 
you can be one of the first Canadians to experience their life-changing products. Everybody has had that experience where the trimming has not gone right, and we want to change that. So get with Manscaped, who has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents, and when I tell you this is premium, this is premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes, so you can take a longer shave, and the waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower. Throw in one of the coolest features, which is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming experience. They've also upgraded to a 7000 RPM motor with quad stroke technology, and let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud, because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB, and if you are listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code HockeyMinds at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com using the code HockeyMinds. It's time to shave those balls, eh? I'd like to thank Danny for coming on the podcast and providing insight on his career and the journey with Project Hockey. With a unique perspective on the game, it adds another angle to the ever-growing spectrum of hockey operations and the people and tasks associated with it. If you would like to get in touch with Danny to learn more about his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly or you can contact HockeyMindsPodcast at Outlook.com and I can help make that connection for you. Check out our social media pages this week as we announce a number of new guests, including our next guest who will be featured on our episode this upcoming Wednesday. Once again, I'd like to thank everyone for listening in today and for helping us grow the podcast through this platform, social media, and our website. The best is yet to come and we hope you continue along as we feature more amazing individuals within the game of hockey and hockey operations. As always, stay safe and all the best. <laughs>